And welcome to the socialworldpodcast.com. Your host is Dave Niven. Today's show is sponsored by David Niven Associates. Well, hello there. Welcome to the Social World Podcast. I'm Dave Niven, and you can download these podcasts from iTunes, the website, socialworldpodcast.com. Twitter is at Dave Niven. Your feedback is terrific. Thank you very much. Also, please leave some more. SpeakPipe, that's that one-click service beside each blog and each uh, podcast. Just click, leave a voice message, and uh, chances are I can put you into the uh, the next episode. Now, I've got various shout-outs today saying thanks ever so much about uh, the last few blogs that I did in between the last podcast and this one. Uh, emotional abuse, the Cinderella Law. Thanks all of those of you who uh, came back to me on that one. It's going to run and run, I think. And uh, strategically, looking at uh, sex abuse as well. That's something we're going to be coming to in a minute. And uh, emotional abuse, that was the Cinderella Law. And also, we're going to be talking about food waste, I think. In the last blog, if you want to have a look at that, the amount, the volume that we waste in this country and around the world, where there's abject poverty... And yet we chuck away so much that's edible, so much that could feed so many, and uh, never give a thought to it, really. So have a read at that one, please. My thanks, as always, to Alba Digital Media, Media who uh, help put this podcast together and who are a wonderful company. And you should, uh, if you ever need any kind of technical support or putting a website together or learning how to podcast, go to Alba digital media. Now, this is podcast 32, and today my guest is John Brown. Now, John qualified as a social worker with a master's in social policy from the London School of Economics. He was a probation officer, a social worker, and he set up a variety of uh, sexual abuse services, therapeutic for child victims, services for children and young people, and for those with sexually harmful behaviour as well, as well as adult sex offenders. Now, at the moment, he's working with the NSPCC, and since April 2010, he's been in post as the Head of Strategy and Development with the NSPCC, and for those of you outside the UK, that's the National Society for the Prevention of Cruelty to Children. And he's taking forward a new organisational strategy in relation to sexual abuse. He's responsible for the design and the commissioning of service, policy, and research development. And uh, a couple of years ago, he also took responsibility for leading the uh, society's work with disabled children. So, apart from having been a, a chair of the National Organization for the Treatment of Offenders, he's a trustee of the Loudoun Trust, which exists to promote uh, evidence-based research and practice in the field of sexual aggression against children. He's a board member of ENASCO, that's the European uh, Non-Governmental Organization Alliance for Child Safety Online, and he's a peer reviewer for the Economic and Social Research Council. So, John Brown, uh, it's a good interview, it's a fascinating interview, 
and I commend them to you and uh, it'll be a very warm welcome to John. John, welcome to the programme. Thank you. Hello. Um, now, you have been with the NSPCC for, oh, what, four years now, since April 2010. Do you want to just give us a sense of what you're doing, what your role is, and what the NSPCC's uh, initiatives are at the moment, or things that you might, I'm sure there's lots of them, but just some you might like to pick out. Sure, yes. Yeah. So, so back in 2009-10, the NSPCC launched a new strategy. Um, we, we are um, unique, I guess, as a, as a national children's charity in the UK, um, in that we rely on about 90% of our income from voluntary donations. Um, so that's, that, that places us um, uh, it, separate, separately, I guess, from um, some, some of the other bigger children's charities that do rely more significantly on contract income. So um, that, that gives us a quite significant degree of independence um, in terms of what we, where we choose to focus our resources, what services we choose to deliver, um, and some of the, the, the policy calls that, that we, we make. Um, and having, having, having said that, however, I mean, it's, uh, um, in the scheme of things, uh, the, the, the money that we generate every, every year um, is in terms of the, the scale of the challenge of child abuse within the UK, it's still a relative, relatively small amount. So we had to think very carefully about how our resources could, could best be focused. And um, the, the new strategy is, um, that's been um, up and running since 2010 has very much been about um, wh where are the key questions, what, what are the key outstanding questions within child protection, how can they best be answered through a combination of service delivery, policy development and research. Mm. And uh, my role at the NSPCC is to lead on our work um, on sexual abuse, the sexual abuse of children, and also our work um, with disabled children as well, which is a, a smaller um, area of our, of our themed work within the organisation. But as well, yeah, mm, yes. sorry, I was looking at that. That's quite a brief you thought there, because also you've got this sort of head of strategy and development and you've got the disabled children brief you've got and then your primary role as far as sexual abuse is concerned I mean that's a, mm. a heck of a job you've got there. It is a big role but um, I've got a great team working with me and I have a, have a team of development managers who, who, who work with me um, who um, play a really important role in, in helping to devise the services and to ensure their effective delivery as well and then we've got a fantastic um, uh, network of teams across uh, the whole of the UK, 40 NSPCC service centres across the UK delivering a range of services focusing on, on sexual abuse but also focusing on neglect, um, physical abuse of children, um, abuse of disabled children, abuse of minority ethnic children and um, uh, abuse of, of children who are, who are looked after and in care as well. So those are, those are the kind of range of focuses that, 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 that we have. Um, and obviously as far as sexual abuse is concerned it's been um, a particularly active time I think it would be fair to say over the last two to three years. Yes, you had a lot. You had a lot of um, publicity as well in, in the way that the NSPCC has been actively involved, if you like, in in the uh, pursuit of various cases that followed out from the Jimmy Savile matter and everything like that, and all the celebrity abusers and so on. And you've got quite a I said quite a central role with law and uh, alongside law enforcement there, didn't you? 
We, we, we did, and I, I, I guess um, with the, the Savile scandal breaking, um, we were able to use our organisational expertise and resources, and particularly our, our helpline, our, our child protection helpline, that of course is available um, 24 hours a day, 365 days a year, um, to assist the Met Police in the um, rollout of Operation Utree, which of course was, was, was the operation set up in the wake of the Saddle scandal. Um, so certainly, and, and that obviously has led to a number of other high-profile cases of um, historic child sexual abuse. Mm. Um, also linked to that, of course, during the last two to three years, we've seen some very high-profile cases of child sexual exploitation. That, that has come to the fore, and um, I think child protection services, local authorities, and government centrally, and children's charities have been challenged by this new form of, of child sexual abuse as well, um, often often perpetrated by by, by, by groups of, of men and, and, and sometimes by gangs of men as well. And I think that that's been another area where we've really had to focus over the, over the last um, two to three years. Uh, and then finally, of course, the internet um, and uh, the uh, significant uh, impact and influence that the internet has had for hu in hugely positive ways for, for children and young people, but of course, uh, within that have, have come some real risks um, and unfortunately we've seen some, some you know, cases where, where children have been uh, sexually harmed and, and abused online and, and that's a very fast moving uh, area of, of, of safeguarding and child protection, something that we work very closely with, with CEOP on the Child Exploitation Online Protection Centre and Interpol and other organisations to help to help us really understand um, how best to identify, disrupt, um, and uh, 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 offenders and groups of offenders online, and of course to identify the children themselves who have been sexually abused. So I guess those three key factors really, that, that, that um, clustering of historic sexual abuse, child sexual exploitation coming to the fore, and then online child sexual abuse, have all um, certainly kept us very busy as a, as a team within the NSPCC. And I think we hope is, is now beginning to um, uh, I, I think galvanise efforts at, at central government, um, uh, to some extent at local government as well, but, but also we, we hope um, has served to um, ensure that the public are beginning to become a bit more informed and aware in relation to, to child sexual abuse, uh, how, it occur, how it occurs and what, what needs to be done to prevent it. Let me, yeah, let me just take up that last point there, or we'll come back to the public perception in just a moment, because I, I, I do think that's very interesting. But from the point of view of, say, frontline practitioners that are listening to this program and um, are dealing day to day with, if you like, um, the victims of sexual abuse and working with them or investigating cases where there's alleged sexual abuse, etc., I know you're mostly in, involved with, the, if you like, the bigger picture, the, the strategic part of it, but from the practitioner point of view, I mean, after all, you are a social worker yourself, I mean, from a practitioner point of view, do you think that there's been advances that have actually enhanced and helped the way that we respond to, to children? I think there have been some, some advances. There have also been there are also some real challenges as well. If I talk about the advances for for um, a moment, and then maybe talk about the challenges for for uh, frontline social care practitioners, social workers, and others, I think I think um, some of the good that has come out of of the um, child the you know, the big child sexual exploitation cases in Rotherham, Rochdale, Oxford, and elsewhere 
um, has, has, has been the work of the Office for the Children's Commissioner and the inquiry that they launched um, over two years ago now, looking at child sexual exploitation perpetrated by groups and gangs. Um, I think that really focused um, everyone's minds um, on, on this new form of, of, of child sexual abuse. Um, and uh, I think the result of that inquiry, uh, the, the report um, that was launched last um, November, um, and importantly, the See Me, Hear Me framework, which is, is part, part of that, that final report by the Office of the Children's Commissioner, I think is, is, is beginning to and will continue to um, help to uh, skill up frontline social workers in terms of understanding how best to assess child sexual exploitation and how best to understand it. So that, that's, that's certainly some good that's come out of some of these horrific cases. Just before, However, just, mm, yes. just before you get on to the challenges, because I know you wanted to say that as well, but in terms of the skill base, would it be your opinion that people, workers, are now feeling a bit more confident about dealing with this subject or do you, do you think there's still a way to go? I think there's a long way to go, um, and we're currently we've currently commissioned some research from Coventry University, and that that will be reporting later on this summer, uh, looking at that very issue actually of social workers' levels of confidence and competence when working with child sexual abuse and child sexual exploitation. Yeah. Our hypothesis is is that uh, generally speaking. Uh, local authority social workers and, and, and social workers in the voluntary sector as well continue to feel relatively relatively un, unskilled and unsupported and untrained as, as far as some of these complex issues are concerned in relation to child sexual abuse and exploitation. That, that's our hypothesis and that's what we're checking out with this research that's being undertaken uh, on our behalf by Coventry University and it'll be interesting to see the results from that research which involves interviews with um, social workers, um, uh, frontline managers and senior managers in a number of local authorities. Okay. It would be interesting to see the results of that research. But I mean, that's, that's what we think. And I, I think that as far as we can see, that the pre-qualification training um, and post-qualification training for social workers um, is, is still leaves some significant gaps, I think, really, in terms of understanding about the dynamics of child sexual abuse, about how it occurs and how best to assess it and identify it in the first place, I think, really. That's, that's, what, we, that's what we think and certainly that's the feedback we get on the ground from our teams when, when speaking with, with, with frontline social workers. So still some way to go, I think. Okay, right. So w that presumably was part of the challenges, but w w were there anything else that you had in mind when you were saying that? Oh, of course, resourcing is the other one, I think, David, isn't it? I mean, if we're seeing local authority children's social care budgets being significantly cut and huge challenges for, for, for local authority children's services in terms of managing those reductions uh, against sometimes quite increasing uh, referral rates coming through. Uh, and, and, you know, we, we've reflected on that in the report uh, that the NSPCC uh, uh, launched in, in, in April, um, How Safe Are Our Children, which was the, the second of what, of what will now be annual reports that come out looking at really at the uh, the state and the terrain, if you like, as, as far as child protection in the UK is, is concerned, looking at some, some key numbers and key stats. And I think that that certainly reflects the fact that in, in many cases, local authority child protection is, is becoming an emergency service. We're now faced, obviously, with um, uh, um, the uh, government's intention to privatise uh, parts of, of frontline child protection work and the, the, the implications of, of, of that. And I guess potentially, and I guess potentially opportunities as well. And I guess the other, the other um, 
interesting development, of course, I guess, is the work of Martin Neri. I'm looking at social worker training um, and some of the, the recommendations that uh, he is making um, in, in, in relation to social worker training. And certainly our initial take on that at the MSPCC is that those uh, that, that is to be welcomed um, and anything that is going to provide a more focused um, uh, training curriculum for, for social workers wanting to go into children's social care. I think that that's got to be welcomed. What would your, I mean, I don't know, have the NSPCC taken a position yet uh, or, or on the privatisation discussion? Well, um, our, our view on the, the, the issue of, of the privatisation of, of children's social care is that um, at the end of the day, it's about outcomes for children. That's what we need to focus on and, and, and the best outcomes for the children, whether or not do those services delivering those outcomes are delivered by uh, local authorities, uh, whether they're delivered by the voluntary sector or whether they're de delivered by private sector organisations or indeed, and which is probably likely, whether they're delivered by a combination or a consortium of all three of those. That's that's essentially our position. It's let's focus on outcomes, let's focus on on what the delivery of services mean for the protection of children, for the safeguarding of children and for the well-being of children. And certainly it's interesting to hear um, the, the new chief executive Bernardo's speaking over the last week or so, uh, Javid Khan talking about the need really for uh, local authorities, for the private sector and for voluntary sector organisations to come together in consortiums and, and, and to look at how some of these real real challenges, really huge, significant challenges for child protection in the UK can, 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 can best be met really by, in a sense, joining forces and, and looking at uh, collaborative uh, delivery and collaboration rather than rather than competition. Yeah. Certainly, I think that that's that, that's interesting and, and needs to be looked at more. I think yes. I mean, statutory authorities and like yourselves, the voluntary sector, I can understand because there's been a long history of of child protection being lodged there. I think everybody's fear is that in the private sector, no matter how competent the people are as it stands at the moment, if there's any whiff of profiteering. Um, that would be terrible when you're looking at the safety of children. I think that seems to be the balanced argument, doesn't it? I think I think so, and I think if you look, um, re really, the best predictor is what's happened so far, I guess, really, in relation to the privatisation of services elsewhere, the privatisation of health services and, and others. And if you, if you look at what has happened, I mean, those contracts tend to get swept up by very large organisations, by, by very large providers, um, who uh, have the capacity and capability to run these multi-million pound contracts and then they are often then subcontracted out to, to, to other organisations actually with the technical expertise and I guess I would question and this is this is John Brown talking rather than the NSPCC at the moment I, I, I would question um, uh, whether that is a, an efficient way to deliver child protection services when effectively you're into a subcontracting arrangement from a large a large private provider who is who then needs to seek out the skill base in other organisations like the NSPCC, like you know, um, and, and, and other 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 um, specialist uh, smaller organisations who have actually got those skills. I would question whether that is is the best way to spend money money really, or whether or not the dogma of the market is is in is in fact overriding uh, kind of co common economic sense and and also overriding potentially the the uh, the best outcomes the best potential outcomes of welfare of of, uh, of vulnerable children and young people in the UK. I think that's where the pervasive argument is at the moment. You know, is it, somewhere in what you've been saying there about terrible caution about 
how the private sector would be involved. But anyway, look, thanks for that. Let, let, can I move on a little bit here? Because there's a couple of areas I'd like to hear your thoughts on. Firstly, uh, you'll probably be aware that this, this program is, is um, heard in about 50-odd different countries. And so social workers around the world and social care professionals around the world, you know, would be listening as well. And I don't know, does the NSPCC's links with um, organizations abroad, uh, do, do you exchange expertise and information and, and projects and so forth? And I mean, just could you just give a, a slight idea of the international com uh, components to your particular specialisms? Mm, absolutely, and certainly child sexual abuse is um, a, a truly global problem. Uh, there are no regions of the world, unfortunately, that, that are unaffected by child sexual abuse and exploitation. It's really important to remember that, and that's certainly been reflected by um, studies by UNICEF uh, and, uh, and other organisations. Uh, the NSPCC, of course, is very distinctly a UK um, child protection charity and therefore delivers its services only in the UK. However, uh, we're a learning organisation. Um, we're absolutely committed to the transfer of knowledge um, and to uh, obviously the scaling up of our services, but particularly as far as the international perspective is concerned, the transfer of knowledge is, is, is key. Um, we're absolutely committed to ensuring that uh, we're able to share our learning and gain learning from our, ourselves from, from other organisations uh, right across the globe who, who are working to, to safeguard children from, from child sexual abuse and exploitation. So, for example, what that means in practice is that uh, I'm involved, for example, with uh, the European NGO Alliance on Child Safety Online, INAXO, mm -hmm. um, which um, brings in uh, um, a wide range of um, EU member states um, looking at the, the issue of child safety online. We're actively involved in that. We're actively involved with the International Society for the Prevention of Child Abuse and Neglect, ISPGAM. Um, and um, we, uh, we, we're also involved quite, quite significantly with the Council of Europe as well and the campaign the Council of Europe launched a few years ago now, their one in five campaign aimed at, uh, at preventing child sexual abuse, which obviously chimes in very well with some of the initiatives that we're wanting to take forward in the UK. So international collaboration and cooperation is absolutely critical, really, I think, to um, uh, ensure that learning is, is um, maximised to, to, to the greatest um, extent. Mm, good. Thank you. Well, look, the, the next bit I want to ask about is, if you like, it is online, um, and, and digital developments and so forth to do with um, prevention of cruelty and prevention of abuse. Now, I, I was at a conference not long ago when Facebook we were talking about the number of false accounts that were in existence and the fact that um, in the head of Facebook's view there are thousands upon thousands of children under 13 whose parents falsify their age in order to get them a Facebook account. And we all know the dangers that that brings. Right. So, in effect, I wondered if, you're, if the NSPCC is, is, is actively engaged in, in work and in talks with some of these social uh, platforms um, to keep on the, the pressure to keep increase, increasing safety and verify age. Have, have you so got some views? Yes, yes, absolutely, David. It's, it's critical that, that uh, industry um, are, in a sense, part of the problem. But they're also part of the solution as well, um, and they need to be engaged with. And um, I think very clear expectations and pressure, um, as well as support, 
um, uh, where, where appropriate needs needs to be um, applied to industry. Um, they they um, have such a key role to play, I think, really, in terms of keeping our children safe online. Mm. Um, the, Pri the Prime Minister came to speak at the NSPCC last July uh, to talk about a number of um, issues in relation to child safety online and, and young people's access to um, pornography as well, and, and laid out really the, the, the government's concerns and the government's line about what, what needs to be done about, about that. And we've, um, we, we've, as a result of, of that, that speech last July, um, we, we've continued to um, pick up a number of strands from that. Um, so, for example, uh, we're just about to um, launch some or commission some research in collaboration with the British Board of Film Classification and the Office for the Children's Commissioner looking at the impact of uh, pornography on children and young people. What, what impact is it, is it having on their attitudes, their beliefs, uh, their understanding of consent, those sorts of things. So that, that's some research that will be underway and will be undertaken fairly soon. We're also undertaking some research uh, with the University of Birmingham uh, looking at the impact of online abuse on, on children as well. We, we know quite a lot uh, from uh, research of um, a, a number of um, academics and, and uh, practitioners here in the UK but also in North America and elsewhere in the world about the impact of child sexual abuse in, in an intrafamilial context on, on children and young people, but we know less about some of the specific impacts of online abuse on children. So it's for that reason that we've uh, asked the University of Birmingham to undertake that research, which is under underway at the moment. And then as far as industry is concerned, we um, sit on the UK Council for Child Internet Safety. Um, and uh, that, that's obviously a key forum that um, uh, ad addresses uh, a, a range of issues in relation to child safety online and of course has industry well represented on it. Uh, and the other, I guess the other key development uh, as far as the prevention of child sexual abuse and exploitation is concerned both on and offline is the establishment about a year ago now of the Home Office National Group on Sexual Violence Against Children and Vulnerable Adults, set up at the um, behest of the Home Secretary and reporting directly through to the Home Secretary. Um, that, that, that national group um, has a number of work streams in it, um, focusing on victims, on offenders, on prevention and, and on cybercrime as well. Uh, so we're, we are involved in that, in that work, in that group. Um, and I think the, the cyber strand of that work, the online strand of that work is, is absolutely critical uh, and, and again um, that, that involves the, uh, the engagement of industry. And I think you know players like, like Google, Facebook um, and some of the other smaller emerging you know social networking sites and, and, that, and, that, and that sort of thing um, absolutely have a key role to play in stepping up to the plate and doing what they can to ensure that uh, children and young people's experience online is as safe as it can be. It's never going to be completely safe. There's always going to be an element of risk there, but it's as safe as it can be um, and that they, they have a role to play in terms of, uh, you know, for example, moderate, moderating discussions that are, that are going on, on on social networking sites and ensuring that where it's obvious that grooming behaviour is being undertaken um, or abusive behaviour is being displayed online, that proactive steps are, are taken to, uh, to to deal with the, uh, the the individuals responsible for that. So, still some way to go with industry, I think. But um, it, it feels as though it feels as though we're we're beginning to head in the right direction with them. I think. No, I take your point, John, and I'm sure you would agree too that in, in can all of that got to be in conjunction with parental support and the education of parents to 
properly understand the dangers and act accordingly. Um, and every social worker on the front line uh, needs to have in their armory advice, yes. advice to parents about how to properly protect their child, just like road safety, and that's part of family life already, online safety should be just the same. It needn't be smothering as I see it, should it, but effectively it can be part of family life just like any other form of protecting your child. But look, we're coming to, to the very end, John, and I, I'd just like to give you a chance just for a moment or two, if you wouldn't mind, what, what your message might be for those practitioners out there who are struggling, as you know, under resourced possibly, and certainly under pressure, but at the same time trying, as always, to do the best work they can with children who've been abused or at risk of being abused, and what sort of message you could give from the NSPCC to them about what support they can expect, but also what kind of, uh, wh where the website is, what the, the helpline number is, and all the things. We'll put it on our um, text to accompany this podcast as well, but if you wouldn't mind just giving a shout out for that, that would be brilliant. Of course, of course, David, yes, I, I think um, it, it's, it's right to say, you know, that our, our child protection system in the UK is, is, I think, one of the best and most robust child protection systems in the world, um, populated by some of the, 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 the best trained and, and most ex experienced social workers, I think, in the world, in the world as well. So it's really important to recognise that, despite the huge challenges that are out there in terms of resourcing, cuts and levels of referrals coming through. Um, and, and every day, I think what we don't hear about, we hear about the, the, the child abuse scandals, we hear about the tragedy of child deaths, we don't hear it uh, on a day-by-day -day basis about the fantastic work that um, social workers and local authorities and voluntary organisations and elsewhere are doing to protect your children day in, day out. Those, those good news stories, um, unfortunately, uh, don't find their way into the media that easily um, because that's unfortunately not what sells uh, papers. It's really important to recognise that. In terms of um, support that the MSPCC can offer, um, I would certainly commend our library service um, and I would um, uh, commend our um, the, 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 the child protection resource that's there. People can go onto the NSPCC website and there's a whole wealth of information there. Anyone around the world can go straight onto um, www.nspcc.org.uk and uh, get huge amounts of uh, um, research summaries, practice guidance, signposting to, to other organisations and other resources. So I would certainly commend uh, that that to, to social workers here in the UK and, and elsewhere. Um, of course, we've got two 24-7 um, helplines. We've got our national child protection helpline um, and we've got Childline, of course, which um, has been um, uh, up in existence for a number of years now, originally, uh, originally established by Esther Ransom. Childline can be contacted on 0800 double one double one and the NSPCC child protection helpline for um, adults who are concerned and for professionals can be contacted on 0808 800 5000 and they're both open as I say 24 hours a day 365 days a year providing really important advice and support for professionals for parents and through Childline for children and young people as well and, and Childline, Childline and, and the Helpline are both, are both available online as, as, as well as on the, on the phone as well. That's lovely. Well, look, John, thank you very much indeed for being in the programme. Uh, I'm sure social workers all over the place, as well as people in the voluntary sector and the social care world, 
Well, I appreciate all you've said, and um, I hope they make use of the resources that you've identified. So thanks for being on the program. You're welcome. Thank you, David. Well, that's it for another week. Thanks very much indeed for joining us, and thanks to John again for that terrific interview. Now, remember, the website, socialworldpodcast.com, iTunes, leave a review, download it from iTunes, leave a review, look at all the back copies. There's a terrific amount of information there for anybody who's studying, uh, studying social work uh, and wanting to have uh, a listen to some of the experts in the field. Stitcher, that's a good way of getting it as well. Twitter, at Dave Niven, always lots of activity on that and lots of your thoughts. Speakpipe, that clicks a one-click service beside the blogs and the podcasts. Leave a review. Tell me what you think. But apart from anything else, thanks again, Alba Digital Media and David Niven Associates that's actually sponsored this whole podcast. So, many thanks. See you next time. All the best. <laughs>